Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and Living Local, sponsored by People's Bank. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and I'd like to introduce your host of Business Talk. He's editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here is George O'Brien. Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of Business Talk. Uh, we have a terrific show for you today. We're going to get to it shortly, but first, we need to hear this important message from our sponsor, People's Bank. Thank you for listening to the Business Talk podcast, sponsored by People's Bank, bringing you the best in business experts, entrepreneurs, and evangelists. Make Business Talk your innovation break for ideas and inspiration. People's Bank, where commercial banking can fuel your growth and make work life easier. Member FDIC, DIF Equal Housing Lender. Bank at peoples.com slash business. Okay, we are back, and we're talking today with Ann Candillis. She is the Springfield Works and Working Cities Challenge Initiative Director for the Economic Development Council of Greater Springfield. How are you today, Ann? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. We have some important matters to talk about today. Uh, We want to talk about Springfield Works, and we want to talk about the Working Cities Challenge, but we also want to talk about uh, the recent $400,000 Community Empowerment and reinvestment grant uh, that was received here and what we want to do with it. So first of all, I'll start by telling us about uh, your work. Uh, talk about Springfield Works. Tell people uh, how that entity works and, and what you're involved in. Great. Thank you. So Springfield Works emerged as an initiative led by the Western Mass Economic Development Council. So since 2016, we've brought together, you know, employers, educators, community leaders, the city, residents, et cetera, to really meet the economic needs of residents and businesses. So our vision, you know, is to have thriving communities where economic opportunity, growth, and resilience is possible for all. And right now, George, not everyone is able to access the resources they need to thrive. So a lot of our work and our goal is really to change that by working collaboratively to remove systemic and racial barriers and really create pathways to real economic opportunity and well-being. Talk about some initiatives that uh, we've been involved with with Springfield Works to date and how we're working to kind of level that playing field. I know that's an overused term, but um, we'll use it anyway. You know, you know, and thanks to the uh, Community Empowerment and Reinvestment Grant, one of our most recent projects, uh, which was awarded by the Massachusetts Executive Office of Housing and Economic Development, uh, Springfield Works was able to work with residents and partners to learn more about the significant racial and systemic barriers to economic opportunity, um, especially for those impacted by the justice system. So. So this is a great example of our work. You know, when we started the project, we realized there just wasn't any data about the barriers, um, you know, for um, after incarceration or when a family member is directly connected to the justice system. So our first step was to hear directly from people impacted by that system. Um, With seven partner sub-grantee organizations. You know, Springfield Works is a large collaborative. We started with 14 partners. We have over 40 now. Um, And our, you know, and again, um, so for this particular community empowerment project, uh, we worked with seven uh, sub-grantee organizations, including HCS Head Start, 
the Children's Study Home, Square One, Springfield School Volunteers, Home City Development, Holyoke Community College, and Mass Hire Springfield. And this grant helped us uh, bring, uh, bring together these partners to hear directly from 200 people about exactly what they need to move forward. And what did we hear back from this survey? Can you kind of summarize for me? And uh, Yeah, yeah, a little bit of the key findings. Then we're going to talk about what we do with these results. Excellent. So there, there's a lot of information we were able to gather, but the key findings were in the areas of employment, food insecurity, health care, economic stability, and COVID-19 impact. Um, we really wanted to, so the first thing was from a demographic perspective, we wanted the 200 uh, folks survey to really represent our demographics. So over 75% of the respondents were Black or Hispanic uh, Latinx. Uh, about half were young, were 34 years old or younger, and it was equally split between male and female respondents. One of the biggest things we learned, um, both nationally when we were looking at some data and then locally, is that, you know, the unemployment rate among formerly incarcerated people in the U.S. is, is higher than at any other point in time in history. So it, it's about 27%. That a criminal record can reduce the chances of a second interview by 50%. So almost half of the respondents that we spoke with or that or that were surveyed um, were not working. Um, the formerly incarcerated were also less likely to be in school, training, have access to a computer or strong computer skills. Um, um, the formerly incarcerated were not able to access um healthy food and health care, you know, at a much higher, higher rate than the non-formally um, in, non incarcerated. Housing and employment were really two of the biggest, the resources that they identified um, as needing the most and not surprising. So there were, um, they were, uh, the formerly incarcerated were less likely to have stable housing and more likely to live in precarious situations like on the street um, in shelters or temporarily housed. Um, how how, large, really, a how yeah. large a demographic are we talking about here? How many people uh, in this 200 area? people uh, were surveyed. So the seven organizations I talked about each mm -hmm. interviewed up to 35 people um, who were identified as connected to the justice system, either directly or with a family member. So they were impacted in one way or another. But how you large is that really constituency? Oh, go ahead. How large is that constituency in general? How many people are we talking about? And talk about the importance of this demographic to the business community yeah. and, and our economy in general. The data, what's really, really difficult is that, and the reason why we started with a survey was that the data is not very um the aggregate data doesn't really exist. Um, and so, so that's why we started and we said, you know what, we need to hear from the respondents 
really just to start collecting data because it's not, you know, the we have a lot of data. We have a lot of data around, um, you know, um, education and employment and labor force participation, but there's really not a lot of local data around around those connected to, to, to the justice system. So that's why we started with a survey so that we could connect, um, mm-hmm. you know, collect our own. Was there anything in this report that you did not expect anything that um, jumped out at you yeah. as you were looking at it? Okay. Yeah. You know, it was interesting too. So we did a press event and a data walk. And so there, we had a lot of people um, who, who share, you know, we shared the information publicly and we did a quick exit survey. And the same thing that I was shocked about, so were the attendees. And so the really shocking thing was that 40% of the respondents said that they did not know how or where to connect to local resources for help. Mm-hmm. So what we heard was that we are a community rich in programs to help meet the, the needs of folks, but we are lacking in coordinated systems. So that that was a big surprise for us. Mm-hmm. Any other surprises there? Any? Uh, um, I think, you know, we were not surprised about housing. Uh, we were not surprised about employment. Um, interestingly, I think the only other surprise was um, how, how, how precarious um, their lives are. Um, it's not one barrier. It's multiple barriers. And so when we lack a coordinated system and folks, you know, reply that they don't know how or where to connect to local resources, mm-hmm. it's not just one resource. So I think that's the deep um, sort of, um, you know, the, 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 the deep concern is, you know, we can continue to build programs, but we need to build access and opportunity in a holistic way. Mm-hmm. This survey was done at a specific point in time, obviously. Do you think it would have shown the same thing if we had done this five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 you years know, ago? That's a great question. The aggregate data, both historically and now, um, the aggregate data shows that those connected to the justice system before and uh, and now are um, consistently facing uh, significant barriers, and so you know maybe some of the data would would um, would tweak a little bit. Um, housing, maybe you know we know we're in a housing crisis right now, um, so potentially housing wouldn't be so precarious. Where. Um, over a third are living in unstable situations. Um, so I think that by and large, I think the employment situation would 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 continue to prove out exactly where it is right now. And don't forget too, like other, you know, pre-COVID, you know, we had a decade of really great um, economic opportunity, but not for all. And, and they fit into the not for all. Okay. You're listening to Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. 
and sponsored by People's Bank. Uh, we're talking today with Ann Candillis. Uh, she's Springfield Works and Working Settings Challenging Challenge uh, Initiative Director. Uh, we're talking about a $400,000 Community Empowerment and Reinvestment Act grant and the data that came through uh, a survey of, you said it was 30 people? Oh, 200 people. 200 people. So, mm-hmm. so now that we have this data, the question becomes, what do we do with it? And I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, I assume other communities are doing similar studies, similar initiatives. I want to move from here to talking about, you know, what other communities might be doing and if there are models that we can work with to, to get some of these people back into work for, into the workforce and to bring some improvement uh, in their lives with uh, all of these things yeah. that we we're talking about earlier from food insecurity to housing and, and all those other things. But start with what do we do now? Uh, data collection is one thing. Surveys are one thing. What yeah. we do with the survey is, is far more important. So tell me what we, where we go from here. Yeah. So there's two things we 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 want to tackle the first is really connected to that 40% number you know the fact that we have this many programs and and folks don't know how or where to access them so one of the first steps is to increase the visibility and access to the many programs and services offered and one way to do that um, is to create a, a technology-based resource. So Springfield Works and the Public Health Institute of Western Mass will build on the, the 413 CARES. It's an online tool that already links to resources like housing, job skills, early education, healthcare, et cetera. So no matter what door you, you, you're coming from, you're actually able to access a resource. But that's technology-based and that's not hands-on. And so the second part of our work is really to work directly with residents and families collaboratively to break down program silos. So we're actually applying for a second grant, which we submitted on September 14th. Um, and we'll work with the same seven partners I listed before, plus New North Citizens Council, if we're uh, lucky enough um, to win a second round. So our goal is to, is to shift, is to use some new tools and sort of this community-wide approach to serving families holistically. So one of the things is to really shift the burden of navigating complex systems from our residents to our partners. So that's a huge, you know, systems change shift. Right now we say, you know, go call this one. You know, we're big on just saying, here's some referrals, go make those phone calls. But imagine now if we work holistically with both participants and their families to actually um, create a, um, a systems change on how we serve individuals collaboratively, shifting that burden of, of accessing resources from the individuals and families to the partners. So that's, that's uh, we call this a ready, willing, and able. How do we support families so that they're ready, willing, and able to train and work? What are, what, what are the barriers prior to training and work that will help families uh, move forward, you know, to access those services to move forward? Um, oftentimes we think that it's just transportation or just housing, but it's really not. Um, and so our, our goal is to really create what we call this whole family approach 
Um, and that is a national model. I think you asked uh, briefly, what are some mm -hmm. other models in, in um, across the United States? Um, the whole family approach or what we call two generation or whole family um, is really about serving the holistic, uh, you know, the family holistically, putting the family at the center and, and building the, the collaborative approach. And so, uh, so we're going to test that with 160 residents if we, um, are fortunate enough to win this next round. If, if we're not, we're still going to go at, um, we'll, we'll find another way to do it. Talk about the employment side of this. The statistic, uh, nearly half of those with criminal backgrounds nationally are still jobless a year after leaving prison. I, I don't think that statistic would surprise anyone. That's right. Uh, That's right. what do we do to, to bring that number down? And, and get people back in the workforce at a time when I know the economy is, is sliding a little, but most businesses are still looking for workers and they're still struggling to find them. Yeah, is, it, right? is it skills? Is it uh, that stigma of someone being incarcerated? Is it both? Or yeah, I mean, think about how often you have to check a box on whether you are incarcerated or not. Um, you're right. I mean, just in the interview process. So the fact that 50% of those formerly incarcerated aren't given a second interview is um, one of the first places to start. Um, so, you know, so thinking about uh, and, and working with our employer partners. So the one great, so the Economic Development Council, we also um, have what we call the Western Mass Anchor Collaborative. So, um, which is a collaborative of, of eight um, anchor, large, large employers and, and, um, education institutions and municipalities. So thinking about what can employers and what are employers willing to do that is different. So, you know, Big Y, Bay State Health, um, Springfield College, the city of Springfield, you know, Holyoke Community College, UMass, like what are some of the ways we can um, drive economic opportunity to hire locally and to create career pathways and career advancement opportunities um, for those both in our low-income communities as well as those connected to the justice system. So employers have a big role to play in, in, um, in uh, breaking down barriers. Going back to the grant, uh, what uh, do we want to do with this grant money? What What are the next steps in this process? So we have completed the first grant. Um, the the and on August twenty third, we revealed the data, and so the so what we've done is now we're building the online tool with the Public Health Institute that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So these partners will um and when i talked about the ready willing and able are you ready okay. are you willing are you able mm -hmm. the will will reveal that tool when it is um completed mm -hmm. uh, later on in the year and and our goal then is to work with 160 people to say you know what does this really look like on the ground and what does it really mean to support a family holistically and what is it going to take and so that's working with employers, um, upskilling and skill-based partners like STCC, HCC, Tech Foundry, 
uh, some of the career readiness programs with uh, Dress for Success Foot in the Door. So these are all of our partners. Um, Square One, Head Start. So really, again, creating um, a collaborative approach to um, getting people ready, willing, and able, upskilling, and ultimately employed. Okay. Well, we'll have to revisit uh, maybe in, I don't know, six months to a year and see. Yeah. Well, you know, I look forward to that. And George, I really appreciate that that you, um, you know, asked to, to uh, have have this, this conversation. Springfield Works serves as a platform for change mm-hmm. and innovation and collaboration. And so everything we're doing is really meant to be scalable and sustainable so that all of our neighbors can thrive. Okay. Thank well, you. thank you for coming on today um, and keep up the good work there at Springfield Works. All right. We'll see you again soon. All right. And thank you to all of you for listening. This has been another episode of Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local and sponsored by People's Bank. I'm George O'Brien, the editor of Business West. We'll see you next time. 